You are listening to the podcast of the Y Church of the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. It's great to have you with us here on this Good Friday. I'm so glad that we also get to keep the kids with us. So I know that my friend Michelle emphasized that it is a quieter service, but I also want to assure parents we never mind extra noise. And so we hope you have fun with this craft. And yeah, it will be a more reflective time together as we just enter into this story tonight. For all of us, I want to tell you a little bit more about what we're going to hear and see tonight. So for kids and adults, what to expect. During Advent, which is the time leading up to Christmas, we were in John's Gospel, one of the four accounts of Jesus' life, his teachings, his death and resurrection. And we were hearing John's retelling of the Christmas story. And so we thought for Holy Week we would return to John's Gospel and we would read John as he reports on Jesus' suffering and death. So last Sunday we started in Palm Sunday with that reading in John. And then last night, maybe some of you got to do our take-home foot washing ceremony where we also were in John's Gospel for Maundy Thursday. And now tonight we come back for these decisive final hours in Jesus' earthly life. And we're going to read across most of John 18 and 19, so most of two chapters. And we'll have seven readings total. And I'll start with the first one, and then I'll be joined one by one. We'll have six other readers from our congregation come up front. And what we're looking to do tonight is to really immerse ourselves in this story and slow Easter weekend down a little bit as we get started, because it's very easy to rush ahead to Easter. But tonight, we just want to sit before the cross and take in what Jesus did, what he did for us, remembering that he endured suffering. And we'll hear about that in these readings. We'll remember that he suffered emotional pain. He suffered physical pain. And he suffered spiritual pain. And the Bible says that he did all of this to save you and me from the power of sin. The Son of God came to earth to bear our sin on the cross, to clothe us in his righteousness, and to make us children of God. So that's the story we remember tonight. And we'll begin the story with Jesus' arrest. When he had finished praying... Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Jesus came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. 
This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple, where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who have hurt me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caphetus, the high priest. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. We have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jews said, My kingdom is not of this world. If I were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. 
As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? he asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as a stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar. The chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, that said, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and his disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, 
he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells you the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and alloy, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. There's a question in the very first portion that we read tonight, and I'm so grateful for our readers all joining us in this this evening. In the first portion, there is a question that for me seems to get to the point of both of these chapters, and it's when Jesus asks the arresting party, who is it you want? It's John 18, 4. He asks the same question in verse 7, just a few verses later. He actually asks it twice because the first time they fall to the ground. They draw back and they fall to the ground as if the earth shook under their feet. And so he asks them again, who is it you want? You know, there's a lot of names in this story. And in reading the Bible, we're often confronted with names that sound strange to our ear and are difficult to pronounce. Annas. I've never met an Annas before, or a Caiaphas, or a Malchus, and those are just names from the first of our seven readings, and we could add many more across chapters 18 and 19. And each one of those people could be asked the question, who is it you want? How did you get involved with this story? What are you doing here? Who is it you want? Annas and Caiaphas both preferred a different kind of Savior. They had the Jewish understanding and perhaps even 
an expectation of a Messiah. But it was going to be someone who could preserve their positions of authority and power and self-righteousness. Jesus could come along as long as he didn't upset their apple cart. Then let's think about Malchus, this servant who got his ear cut off by Peter, which, by the way, was healed, as Luke reports the story, was healed then and there on the spot by Jesus. And when I think about Malchus, I'm not sure if Malchus really knew what he wanted or if he had much of a choice to be there or not. He was the high priest's servant, after all, so by default, he was there. He was on assignment to arrest Jesus. And then through a sudden act of violence, his name makes it into the story. I don't know what it feels like to have your ear cut off, but I would guess it is very painful. I mean, if getting your ear pierced at the mall and all the preparation that goes into that is any indication, then it would appear that the ear is quite sensitive. And no sooner did this happen, and Malchus is down on the ground in pain, and Jesus does one last healing before dying on the cross. And I wonder to myself, how did this all impact Malchus? I wonder what the healing of his right ear physically felt like. And I wonder what he saw in Jesus' eyes as this took place. And I wonder what his life looked like after the healing of his ear that night, in one night after he lost and regained his ear. And I wonder if maybe his idea of Jesus changed. It could be that he came just following orders, but that encounter with Jesus had his life reordered. He could finally answer the question, who is it you want? But how about Peter? the one who lashed out in this attack. Who did he want? You might know Peter was a disciple. He was probably the disciple of disciples, the leader. He was the one who declared Jesus as the Messiah, that great declaration, you are the Son of the living God. He's the one who leapt out of the boat and experienced, at least for a little while, what it meant to walk on water. But Peter struggled as a disciple. For as much as he wanted to get it right, his own flesh, his own will, his own pride seemed to get in his way. He wanted a Messiah who would win. He was looking for a Messiah who wasn't going to suffer and die, who wouldn't subject himself to any Jewish authority or any Roman. Peter was not prepared for the way of the cross, at least not in John 18 and 19. And then there's Pilate as we make our way through the story. Pontius Pilate, the Roman prefect, governor of Judea. And you can see in the extended reading about Pilate how conflicted he is in the story. Who is it you want, Pilate? It's hard to tell. And you see him go from curiosity to confusion, from arrogance to fear, from frustration to exasperation. His most famous line is probably the question, what is truth? I don't think Pilate knew what he wanted. He shows himself in the story as reasonable. He sees right through the Jewish accusations against Jesus. At some point, he's even trying to save Jesus' life. But ultimately, what does he do? 
He takes the path of least resistance. He washes his hands of Jesus' fate. Afraid of a Jewish uprising, afraid of his boss, Caesar, afraid to stick up for Jesus in any way that could actually cost him. And I wonder when I think about Pilate, how he thought about this the rest of his life. Do you ever wonder that? If this decision haunted him? I wonder if this simple act of washing hands, which he must have done on a daily basis, if it ever brought him back to that moment, would he have done it differently if he could? Did his wife resent him for his decision? As we hear her counsel to him in Matthew. Who is it you want, Pilate? I also wonder about the soldiers who took charge of Jesus. It says that there were four of them when they divvied up his clothes into equal parts. And I wonder what their names were. And were they just desensitized brutes who over the years just figured out how to revel in bloodshed? It could be. A Roman execution squad was trained for this. They were trained to exact pain and bring death. They loved exercising power over someone else's life. But maybe not all of them kept that mindset. Mark tells us that there was one centurion there who cried out when Jesus died and the curtain in the temple was torn. He cried out, surely this was the Son of God. Is it ever too late to answer the question, who is it you want? Apparently not. And I wonder where that centurion went from there. I wonder about the four soldiers. And I wonder about you. Who is it that you want? How did you get involved in this story? Why are you here tonight? John has recorded this story not as some wishful legend, but as historical fact. The Gospels have all the hallmarks of eyewitness accounts and accurate reports of the facts. In fact, other Gospels, you might know, were written years later after Jesus and they were spotted as counterfeits and they were not included in the biblical canon. John says in one of our readings, John 19.35, the one that Amanda shared with us, it says, the man who saw it has given testimony. He's speaking about himself as the writer. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. And all the corroborating and historical evidence backs that up. But even as he says this, he knows that the truth about this story, the facts about Jesus, are meant to do something. They're meant to take you somewhere. Jesus is not a fact to be absorbed, he's a person to know, a person to trust. I want you to hear how John continues in the very next verse. He says, he, speaking of himself, he knows that he tells the truth and he testifies. He's saying, I'm writing this, here's the key, so that you also may believe. Who is it you want for you in your life? The center of this story is actually the reversal of that question. 
Because at the center of the story is the fact that it is God who wanted you. He answered the question before you and I ever got there. He's the one who came to give his life, to die for your sins, to save you from sin, death, and the power of evil that so clearly has this world in its grip. God wanted you. Just as he saw and wanted Annas and Caiaphas, Malchus, Peter, Pilate, the soldiers. But only you can answer the question, who is it you want? And on this Good Friday, wherever you sit, whatever brought you here this evening, may the answer be Jesus. That's who I want. May it always and only ever be Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so grateful for this cross that is now shrouded in black. You suffered, were crucified, died, and were buried. And Lord, I pray that we would just Linger here tonight and tomorrow. Lord, that you would put the brakes on whatever things we have scheduled, the preparations for Easter Sunday, the things that are on our mind, the things that worry us. And we could just pause and we could find refuge at the foot of the cross. We thank you, Lord, for this most amazing demonstration of your love for us. And tonight we have cross-stitched some crosses. We have looked at this wooden cross made for the Y Church many years ago. But I pray that the cross would be imprinted on each of our hearts. That we would say yes to you. It is Jesus and only Jesus that I want. Thanks for listening to the Y Church podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.